3: 18
2: plus. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence Podcast. To get the full length members only version every week, join Slate Plus at Slate.com slash Prudy Pod. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence.
0: Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence.
1: Dear Prudence.
0: Dear Prudence. Dear Prudy. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. 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 Thank you.
2: Welcome back to the Dear Prudence podcast. I am Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. And I was recently given a book that sums up everything that is good and true in the world. Um, Longtime fans of The Toast, which is a website I ran for the last couple of years, are familiar with my slightly unhinged obsession with all things involving Ayn Rand. Um, She is just such a special strange person with just some of the worst ideas, but also just was wonderful at describing dresses that somehow looked like trains. And she was just super into like grabbing people by their naked shoulders and making speeches. And I just have a lot of affection for how committed she was to just being just wonderful and dreadful and the worst. And uh, I-, I could talk about uh, the movie based on her sex life starring Helen Mirren, The Passion of Ayn Rand, for 45 minutes easily. Uh, But that's not what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about a book a friend just gave me, which is Feminist Interpretations of Ayn Rand. It is an academic book full of a variety of essays uh, about the feminist implications of the work of Ayn Rand, most of which uh, seem to revolve around the fact that it's like, well, she was a woman and she wrote books. So there's got to be something there, right? Um, which is just splendid. Uh, there is also a chapter that I had hoped was written by Camille Paglia because it's attributed to her, but it's just like a snippet of an interview she did once. She did not actually write anything for this book, so um, I just wanted everyone to know that I'm now in possession of that book, and I have yet to decide whether I should like never read it, like just own it and treasure it, like a, like a precious artifact from like a long extinct civilization whose language is now dead. Or if I should read it every morning as a devotional. I truly cannot decide if I want to read it every day for the rest of my life or literally never. Um, But I can tell you that I'm going to cherish it forever and always. And that I'm sure it is just full Of so many things. There is a chapter by Nathaniel Brandon, who is the dude who was her mistress for a really long time, until one day he decided he didn't want to be her mistress anymore, and he had to write her an essay explaining why they shouldn't keep having sex. And she was like, these are not good enough reasons, like, denied. And he was like, well, then I'm going to move to California. And she put a curse on his genitals. That is true. She said, if you have an ounce of, uh, like honesty and uprightness left in you. You'll be impotent for 25 years. And um, that was how they ended things. So I love her so much. Um, Anyways, uh, I I have spent too much time discussing my personal passion projects, uh, and it's time to jump into some of your questions. Uh, We have two guests in the studio today. Comedians W. Kamau Bell and Hari Kondabolu are here with me. Together, they host a podcast called, called politically reactive where they stare unflinchingly at the glacier of slowly melting shit that is the 2016 election and our political process in general but that is not what we're here to talk about together we are here to unravel the ravel sleeve of care uh and to heal one another gently slowly intimately uh with unflinching eye contact hey guys
0: wow that was amazing oh my
1: god that was incredible <laughs>
0: Where did stare at the glacier of melting shit come from?
2: Uh, you know, Casey texted me earlier and asked if I could think of a, uh, something for garbage fire that was not yeah. garbage fire. And I said, I-, I guess a glacier of slowly melting shit. That
0: is the best. Th- th- we're, can we have that? Of course is, that you a, can. is that a
2: thing? Take it. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Oh my You're welcome to it. Because wouldn't that be awful? Just a massive, slow-moving glacier carving out valleys of just.
0: That is how, because I was like, that is exactly how I feel about the election right now.
2: It's just a lot of.
0: Good job. Good. Old. Things. Good writing, you.
2: A- anytime, happy to be here. Um, so, are you guys ready to dive in and tell people how to live their lives?
0: Yes, oh, fantastic. <laughs> I have two oh, little always. people. I, I have two little people in my life to tell to live their lives, so <laughs> I might as well do it for everybody.
2: Yeah, let's universalize our own experiences. <laughs> uh, okay, so I- I'm going to go ahead and read our first letter. The subject is living hell. So I want to start us off just strong and and move from there. Dear Prudence, my girlfriend and I have been together all throughout college. When we graduated, I was offered a position in my family's company in a Midwestern city, and after much discussion, my girlfriend decided to follow me. That was three years ago. I've thrived and been promoted at work, while my girlfriend has struggled to find a job that fulfills her passions. We've talked about marriage, we looked at houses together. She acted distant and unhappy at times, but I just chalked it up to her being let go from her job. I told her that I would support her in whatever she wanted to do. If She wanted to go back to school or stay at home with kids, but she wants to break up. She came out one day and told me that she regretted moving here with me. She hates this area. The weather makes her miserable, and she doesn't want to marry me. She doesn't have any money to move out. I've been paying all of our expenses for a while now from our cars to the rent. Her relationship with her parents and her brother are volatile. She asked all of our old college friends if she can move in with them, but all they can offer is a couch for a month or two. She started crying, telling me how miserable and afraid she is, and I told her that she could stay as long as she wanted. We were friends before we started dating. I wasn't about to kick her out. Now we're in this strange limbo. Many days feel normal. We'll text each other, go to concerts together, and hug one another hello. Then, if I forget and kiss her on the cheek, she jerks away and shuts down. She's accused me of being emotionally manipulative. I feel bad, but it's hard to cut off years of thinking that this was going to be the woman I would spend my life with. I feel lied to. All that time house hunting, talking about kids, planning a future. I can't say anything because of how vulnerable she is right now. She only has a few grand to her name, and if I stop paying the car notes, she's going to have nothing to her name. I can't tell my family or our friends here because I know they're going to ask why we are still living together if we broke up. She moved here to be with me, so I can't kick her out. But living like this is a living hell to me. What do I do? What steps should I take? I'm not going to throw someone I love onto the streets, but this parody of our previous life
1: is killing me. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, the immortal uh, songwriter, uh, is it uh, Kenny Rogers? I don't think he wrote this song, but he's famous for it. You got to know when to hold them. know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You got to put her out on the streets <laughs> and tell her good luck, maybe loan her a few thousand dollars, but you'll never get it back. The chicken guy wrote that. <laughs> I don't think he wrote it, but he did sing it very well. Uh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta let her go. You gotta, you gotta. I mean, if you have some money, I would say give her a gift, give her a severance package uh, to sort of that she can help. Let her sleep on her friends' couches for a month. And here's what happens: either she does that, so on some couches. She goes. This is horrible. I've made a poor decision and maybe she comes back to you or she gets out of your life and you meet somebody. Else. There's no kids involved, right? I was,
2: no, no kids. These are but, all yeah, hypothetical this is
0: all, non- this is all Dungeons and Dragons. There's I, nothing ha- this, nothing bad has happened here yet.
2: She also, I want to point out, uh, the letter originally says she doesn't have any money to move out and then later says she has a few grand. Oh. And I would just like to point out that is some money. That's
1: a
0: big, that's way more than none.
2: Like that's a security deposit and first and last month's rent right there.
1: I mean, there's a lot of guilt, obviously. I mean, I, I think that you know, adults make adult decisions. And even though she moved there for you and you wanted her to come with you, um, she made a decision as an adult. And now she's making another decision as an adult that she doesn't want to be with you. And so at a certain place, at a certain time, it's like, okay, there have been a number of adult decisions. Now you have to make an adult decision. And the adult decision here is there's X amount of time that you can stay here. It hurts me. Um, and after this period of time, I need you to go because I need to move on with my life. Right. And I think that's a fair thing. And it's hard if you love somebody, but it also is probably indicative that this isn't a healthy situation for him. No,
2: they both sound or, miserable. Or her. Yeah,
1: you you can't
0: talk somebody into loving you, which is a song I'm working on for my debut album.
2: I hope you sing it in the style of Kenny Rogers. I will. I will. Uh, I feel like, too, this person writes, like and they kind of cut off any possible avenue of escape. They're like, well, obviously, I can't tell my family and friends, because then they would ask why we're still living together. You actually could tell your family and friends. And then when they ask you why you're still living together, you could say, because she's afraid to move on and I'm really scared of what will happen when we finally let each other go. You can actually have that conversation and saying, like, she doesn't have anywhere to go. A couple of friends have offered her a couch for a month. That's, that's somewhere to go. That's somewhere to go. Like yeah. a month is a good, especially yeah. if you have a couple thousand dollars, yeah. a month is enough time to like go sleep on somebody's couch, look for a place of your own, look for some work, like figure your next move out. Like you guys actually do have options. You're not as trapped as you think you are.
1: Yeah. There's she, no, she's a human being. She's an adult. I mean, she's had to function in the world. Right. So I don't think that if he sorry or he or she. That's so stupid. To me. I mean, this uh, could uh, very he,
2: much be some real. Le- this is this could easily be a lot of lesbianism in this letter. Um, <laughs> yes. A lot of processing, but like, you
1: know, I, I
0: feel like, uh, you know, I'm just laughing at a, turn a phrase of a lot of lesbianism. That's what I'm laughing at. You, right?
2: can, you know, everybody has a different amount of lesbianism within themselves. It's
1: true. Mine is But high. I feel like <laughs> I feel like he or she has um, has to realize that, uh, you know, this is a person that will survive without you. Right. And though it seems bad at this moment, it seems dark. People survive. Like, this is not she's not going to wither away and die just because she only has a few thousand dollars left and has to start over.
2: Yeah, I I think you kind of both feel like because things have both been so bad for so long that any change will make it even worse. And I actually think a change is going to be what starts making things better.
0: Well, especially especially because this is the thing he's not raising her. So, like, right. this is yeah. the thing I feel yeah, like, yeah, but, yeah. like, you don't know what's going to happen with her. I mean, things could work out, or they could not work out. Right. But
2: she might have a rough year. She ahead might
0: of her. have. She might. Yeah, there might be some rough days ahead of her, and you don't. You can't really sit there and go, I don't think you can tell yourself, well, she'll be fine, because you just don't know. But you need to know. I need to be fine. Yeah. Like I need to take care of myself, and so assuming this is two adults and this is all that the story is, let her go. Oh my God. Let her go. All right.
2: I just from now on Kamau's answering all these in song form
0: I am I will Uh,
2: yeah she's her two options are not live with you forever or the streets she's got other choices (laughs) let her take them
3: it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper
1: are the are these real or did you write them? These are all real. These are all a real. Oh my real. god!
2: I oh my god! I get very few letters that are fake. Like, and they usually are pretty obvious because it's like, <laughs> and then I, I I'm not going to get into detail, but it's usually pretty clear. I was hoping clear.
1: this was a creative writing assignment.
2: No, these oh, are not creative writing really assignments. Oh, uh, that's sad. Do you guys want to hear another letter that's real?
1: I think Harry's oh, yeah. gonna go.
2: Uh, this one's called "My Husband Has No Sympathy for Me. I'm Pregnant."
0: Who? Now we're talking about real problems. Now. <laughs> Now we're talking about this is actual this is this is actually boots on the ground that other All right. stuff was just Dungeons and Dragons.
2: I think I know who needs to read this letter. All right. Also, that was my water bottle. Yours is the
0: full one. Uh, but I wanted some of your water. Sorry, man. Uh, <laughs> I like that. I like. For, sorry, man. All right. Uh, Hi, Prudy. I am fed up. I am a work from home mom of a two year old who is also six and a half months pregnant. I am exhausted and I have constant pain in my lower back and symphysis pubis dysfunction. I'm sure I said some of that wrong. My right hip pops in and out several times per day. Not only am I a full-time working mom and working full-time, holy lord, they keep track of every minute I work, but I also clean the house and I am the only one taking care of my daughter. Yesterday, I couldn't take it anymore. I had a truly awful and stressful day and I told my husband this. He told me that he'd had a bad day too. Oh, boy. ooh. He decided, as he often does, that because he makes more money, he quote-unquote deserves to come home and lay on the couch for several hours while I clean, take care of the baby, and literally, in tears, clean up her food from the floor on my hands and knees. He never offers to help or take things off my hands. He never asks me if I'm okay. His idea of helping is to tell me to put off the cleaning or put my daughter in daycare full-time, which we cannot afford and I don't want. He almost seems annoyed that I'm quote-unquote always complaining about being in pain. I, I get it that he makes more money, but does that mean he works harder than me? And he doesn't. It also doesn't matter to me what he makes since I still write him a check for $1,000 a month for mortgages slash expenses. I spend 450 bucks a month on groceries, pay all my own personal bills, and buy everything, all caps, for my two-year-old daughter as well as the new baby we are about to have. We do not share a bank account. I am depressed, tired, in pain, and feel like a single mom half the time. He is great when playing with the baby, but doesn't do any of the hard stuff. I am growing resentful, and my attempts to discuss this are taken as an attack and winds up being in a screaming match. What am I supposed to do? I can't take this anymore.
1: I mean, I thought it was a lot worse from the first sentence. Uh, I am a work from home. Mom of a two-year-old who is also six and a half months pregnant. You thought the and I read two-year-old that was wrong. six and a
2: half months pregnant? Yeah, for way
1: too long. <laughs> for like a good minute after no. that, and I'm like, oh, geez, we
2: are not dealing with that level of, of hey, dysfunction.
1: She doesn't have a lot of time to
0: be proof to be doing uh, yeah, double she's checks busy. and proofreading. Fair, so like, she, has, she doesn't have a lot fair of rewriting point.
2: time. I, I just want to say, I want to extend this woman a lot of credit for not poisoning this man like mm. she hasn't committed murder and i think she deserves a commendation
0: <laughs> she like this is just, this is just classic like Oh, this is just this is just oh this is just, it's classic. All of this is classic.
2: Guys, do we think this marriage can be saved?
0: Well, first of all, I just want to make sure is this a letter from the nineteen fifties?
2: This is a letter from at least since the internet.
0: Okay. It okay. has so not been not, sent through a temporal not, shift. Because if it was the nineteen fifties it's a different discussion. Sure. Like it's <laughs> what the nineteen fifties. Well, that's what men do. But I don't think in not, the fifties
2: they'd be spending four hundred and fifty dollars a month on groceries. Oh. I think it'd be like I spend four whole dollars a month on groceries. <laughs> I,
0: spend, I spend I spend a sixpence on groceries. A
2: lot of tang. Was yeah. that Tang in the
0: fifties? Uh, I think we're pre-Tang in the fifties. Right. At any rate, no any Tang. Rate. Uh, this is a. Whew. Okay, first of all, uh, well, man, they got two. This is hard. Everything is harder when there's when there's a when there's a two year old and you're six and a half months pregnant. First mm-hmm. of all, that's just that's just the rules,
2: right? That is a suboptimal time to leave your spouse.
0: And as the person who's not the pregnant one, it is actually your job to just to to be the receiver of complaints. And to make everything as easy as possible for the pregnant one. That's actually whatever your regular job is, <laughs> whatever the whatever the job is that is paying you a wage, mm-hmm. your other job is when you come home and go, What do I do to make this easier? on you. That's just
2: But the, being pregnant is her problem, man. <laughs> yes, he's she, got a job.
0: He's got a job. It the thing when you're a parent, you don't get to just have one job. That's not how that works. Yeah. I mean, you can have here's the you can choose to have one job when you're a parent of just whatever your job is at, at work and then you're choosing the other job of being a bad parent. And you can go that route. <laughs> That's a very popular route to go. I'm gonna have my day job and then when I come home I'm gonna have the bad parent job. You yeah, can do it that. sounds
2: like he's
1: really yeah. excelling at that job. Yeah, he's
0: certainly excelling. But I think you you this is hard because because as I have two kids and it puts an unending amount of stress on you and sometimes you realize that you're part that your conversation with your partner that is tense is really just a way of saying it's hard to have these kids like it's just, it, doesn't, it It sounds like it's about other things but it's really just like i'm sleepy and i've been sleepy for three years and so it's a really high stress situation uh that uh, yeah she needs to
1: man this is uh,
2: sorry you got any thoughts
1: I got two potential solutions, but none of them seem really viable. Or I mean, either first of them of murdering I th- him.
2: I got to stop. I got to oh. stop suggesting that. You shouldn't kill. No, because do well, probably... Well, I guess my, probably... my first
1: one was... Go hurry. My first one was to uh, see what it... My first thought uh, was to check his life insurance policy. So, yeah. I mean, I guess I was already <laughs> going in that direction. Watch because, Double Indemnity. <laughs> like, there's some way. Oh, gas leak. Um, the second thought I had is... It's definitely even harder. I think he needs some kind of feminist come to Jesus moment. So perhaps he gets into a a crazy car accident and is saved by, like, Lindy West. Like, he needs somebody to save him who is a feminist. And all of a sudden he's like, what have I been doing with my life? All this is to say that I have no viable solutions here.
2: No, I mean, there's something particularly sadistic. Not just that he says, I make more money. So when I come home, I get to be done being a human being who lives in the world. But also, uh, we're not going to have a joint bank account, and I want you to pay me a thousand bucks a month for the mortgage. I want you to pay for groceries and your own personal bills. Like, you are a complete separate financial entity from me. I feel no, uh, like, partnership with you when it comes to making decisions. It it feels like he thinks that having kids is something she did to him, and it's her job to keep that out of his, like, purview as much as possible. And she just needs to, like, pull her own weight and shut up.
1: Um, Also, aren't there vows? (laughs) <laughs> don't they get, like, when you get married, don't you, oh, do you have I mean, vows? Not, like, legally b- this, binding. Yeah. Like, you're this, allowed this to be like a bad it's husband. seems like this against the vows. This is against the vow. How could he promise that in front of all those people and then break the vows? Well, we don't know that he didn't write his own
0: vows. I promise to make you feel like you're less than and to put all the pressure of the kids and the household expenses on you and to keep a separate Ooh. bank account so that I can also have my own fun without you knowing.
2: And like, I That'd promise be a smart
0: move on his point. If my
2: hip pops in and out several times a day to keep it as quiet as possible so it doesn't disturb <laughs> you while you're napping.
0: This, this is really about... Here's the thing. this letter is really like a a a warning to the previous letter writer mm. like if you don't if you <laughs> this is really about the if you're not careful, you can end up in this situation Oof. so that this is I feel like this letter is just like hey, everybody out there who's who's I, who's in a relationship without kids and you think it's bad here's how this it could get bad. worse this could get but yeah yeah this is this get out now yeah. so, I mean this is really about like i first of all, I don't think Harry should make a woman save him. this is not a
1: woman's job, to
2: yeah, Hari – yeah, I forgot it to get mad about that. Yeah, yeah,
1: I said it was a feminist come to Jesus <laughs> me. I was imagining like a touch by an angel type figure. Yeah. who's a feminist? He isn't, can do
2: that on his own time. Yeah, isn't
1: Lindy West busy enough? Can't, yeah,
0: you can't. She's married and actually has some kids. I think I'm you imagining need to save him. A fantasy
1: scenario. <laughs> all right,
2: all right, all right. We're getting this off is topic a TV here.
1: pilot pitch.
2: I think one thing we can all agree on is this is not a question of like a fundamentally decent person who's gotten off track. Or like an otherwise good partner who has sort of fallen down on the job and doesn't realize how difficult you have it. This is a bad partner.
0: Yeah, this is a, you need, and to, he's not going to get better. And the only way you do this is like maybe have some sort of wake up intervention moment. Like one day he comes home and you're all just gone, like you, your six and a half month baby in your stomach, and the two year old just gone, and you just take a break, and he goes, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, what happened?" And you have to do a, a big intervention here.
2: Yeah, I, I think, I think for you, like. Obviously, like, leaving your husband at this time is a huge undertaking. And it may be that you decide, like, I can't do this while I'm also pregnant. I
0: don't know what your support system mean, looks like. Mm. I don't mean leaving. I mean, like, go check into a nice hotel for a couple of days. <laughs> like, just be, just disappear. Okay. Just, yeah. yeah. You can come back, but just, just a little wake-up call. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, you know.
2: But just... I would also say, like, start funneling money into, like, luckily you have a separate banking account. Like, start squirreling mm. money away. Like, you need to establish a, like, getting the hell out fund because this is not a person who is going to see the light in this relationship and start helping you and you can like stop buying the groceries with your own money or like tell him that you know you're you're not gonna be able to like do all the cleaning on a daily basis and if he wants to hire a cleaner like he can pay for it he makes so much money that apparently he deserves to live on a couch so he could probably hire a cleaner um, yeah I
0: like that idea of like just start taking take it out of the grocery fund just start spending four hundred and twenty five dollars on grocery and then go, yeah, they didn't have apples this week and just take that $25 <laughs> and start- It's gone. Th- <laughs> apples say, are done. Yeah, that's weird. Global no, warming, baby. There was no paper towels in the grocery store this week and just take all that money. And I, I think, yeah, squirreling it away is a good yeah, idea.
2: Yeah, I think in the short term, absolutely. Like you need to tell him like, I'm not going to be cleaning up the food off of the floor tonight. Mm-mm. I am six and a half months pregnant. Mm-mm. If you want food off the floor, clean it up. Uh, and then also in the long term, like, start saving up your money. Tell people you love and trust who can keep a secret from your husband. Like, tell your parents if you're close. Tell a good girlfriend. Like, let people know I want to leave him within the next six months, within the next year. Can you help me, like, save some money? Find a place on my own I can afford. Find some cheap daycare because you need him out of your life. You need this to be your ex-husband who, like, forgets to send you child support payments. That is a better setup than what you have right now.
0: This is a hardcore show. is <laughs> Get your you know two-year-old and your, and your pregnant belly out of there. I mean,
2: this isn't a person who's going to compromise with no, her, it's, right? It's, like, it's, we're not being unreasonable. No,
1: we're not being unreasonable. I just think if, that... If, it, 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 yeah. it, it feels like Kamau and I are coming up with our dumbass answers, and then Mallory has the actual answer, and it's really good. That's why it's we're like here. It's, really good. Um. <laughs> Welcome to Dumbass Answers <laughs> with Kamau and Hurry.
2: Yeah, this one didn't have a song, though. I'm hopeful that there's going to be a song for the next one.
1: I'll read one. The subject is yellow fever. I'm a 30-year-old single female out in the dating world. I am Chinese-American, and I have, by default, pretty much only dated white guys. Geographically, I live in a pretty white town." Navigating the dating world is hard enough as it is, but I've recently come across an issue. If the man I dated has previously dated Asians, I am automatically suspicious that I am looked at as a fetish. Most of my past serious boyfriends have only dated white people, so this has never come up. I'm currently seeing someone, a white male, who speaks fluent Korean due to being deployed in South Korea and has only exclusively dated Asian females in the past. I am just wondering if you think this is a red flag or not. I'm torn. I just want to be liked for more than my race, but I don't want to be just another Asian. That aside, he does treat me very well. We have tons in common, and I like him lots. What do you think?
0: Hmm. He's got yellow fever. He's got yellow fever. She's got yellow fever. (sighs) They're in love.
2: That song made me drop my headphones.
0: (laughs) It did. It did. did. (laughs) Are you familiar with the song?
2: I am not familiar with that song. Is that that a real song?
0: That's a real song. I mean, the original version is Jungle Fever, and it's from the Spike Lee movie Jungle Fever about black and white loving. But I switched it up for this. uh, For this, uh, you
2: changed it. You changed it.
0: I switched it up. Yeah.
1: I mean, statistically, like if you only date white people and you live in a real white town, I can understand that part of it because okay, like just the numbers. But it seems like him as a white man would have a broad range of people and statistically to only date Asian women would be, you know, would require an effort. So it seems like there must be some aspect of fetish in there. I guess the other thing is like, well, you should probably just talk to him. Like, what is it about me that you find attractive? How come you've only dated Asian women? What is it about asian women that you like is it just a coincidence in your opinion like actually having a blunt conversation about this is important
2: right and if you feel like you could be in a relationship with someone you would want to be able to have those conversations presumably
0: yeah i, I think there's also this thing too that uh she's saying uh that she has that she has only dated white guys because that's who's around but really I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm. First of all, I think you should date whoever you want to date, and I think that if you question too much why you're dating who you're dating, it can start to leave you down a crazy rabbit hole where you start to break. You, you just are attracted to who you're attracted to on some level. Sure, but I also think that like, don't question him when you're doing the same thing. I think there's, it's harder to sort of to sort of judge him against some standard where it's like, well, I'm only dating white guys. I mean, I'm sure there's some Asian dudes in this town who are like, hey, over here. You know, maybe not. And if not, but if it was really that important, she would probably move to another
1: town. Uh, but the other thing well, I she, would say. She's. What? She said, like, uh, it's a pretty white town. She didn't say it was an all white town. <laughs> exactly. So she, it could be San Francisco for all we know.
0: Uh, right. But the other thing I would say is that you have to. You ha, He's only dating Asian women. Uh, that means that that's his that that is something he's into. There's a difference between being I'm attracted to this type of person and also fetishizing that type of person. Right. I think fetishizing means I demand you do the things I expect this type of person to do. Mm-hmm. Like I've associated behaviors and activities with this race. And, I, and so I want you to engage in those behaviors and activities versus like. I happen to be attracted to Asian women, which I think is a different thing.
2: Yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, it totally makes sense that, like, you could absolutely say to yourself, like, when I date white men, it makes me uncomfortable on a certain level. Like, not dating white people is always an option. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I I know that sounds a little goofy, but, like, really, like...
0: Yeah, I mean it's just you, or you decide that like living in this place is not working out for me socially, so I'll move to a place where it'll work out better for me socially, which is also an option. Yeah. So
2: we don't always make great partners,
0: and I don't think I think that it really does get caught up in like if you get caught up in why you're attracted to who you're attracted to, it's just sort of it'll lead you it can lead you down a rabbit hole of self destruction because I think that ultimately we're sort of putting value on being attracted to one person is better than being attracted to another person, mm-hmm. which I think is which I think is a little bit weird, as and I say that as a person who's married to a white woman, uh, when it's like yes I'm attracted. To her, she's white, and also uh I like her. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't just white, and I think if she feels like that, he her attract. If, if she feels like that, his attraction to her is sort of you know contingent on her doing Korean things or well, Asian she's not things,
2: she's not Korean, she's Chinese American. I'm saying,
0: but he was like, I know you're Chinese, but if you could make kimchi, I'd really be into it. Like I'm saying, like if he if it was somehow she thought he was somehow altering her behavior, then that's where it gets into the weird fetish thing. But yeah, talk I mean, to him.
1: It, is that, is that not is it the is it different like fetish and also like seeing someone and like I only date a certain kind of person because that certainly seems like you're you're seeing all these people in a group when they wouldn't see themselves in a group necessarily. But, Do you know but, what I mean? That seems fetishy, doesn't it? But generally, everybody only dates a certain type of person.
0: It, I mean, really? if you a lot of th- if you put the X's together of of every of a lot of people, you'd see a sim- you'd see a thing that co- something that went through. Go, oh, you like these types of people. Either you huh. like tall people or you like short people. Now it certainly gets more complicated when you put race into it, but I still think generally everybody dates a certain where I'm attracted to brunettes. I'm attracted there's a thing that connects that together and physical attraction is a big part of that. I think that huh. like it's to me it's fetishy if it becomes a problem for the other person. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And I think like the real question is she asks like is this a red flag? I think his answer will let you know whether it yes. is, is a red it, flag. It, yeah. If he says like, you know, I was deployed in South Korea for a really long time, so most of the women I met were South Korean. I've had a really good experience in my dating life. Um but I also really want to like hear how it makes you feel. I really want to make sure that you understand I see you as a person um and not just like as a representative of some stereotype I have about Asian women. Like that means you guys might have a basis for a good relationship. If his answer feels like non-reflective, or he's like, oh, I never thought about it, or, yeah. oh, I don't like other types of women because of certain stereotypes I have about women in different ethnic groups. Like, Absolutely, you have the right to call that a red flag and to say, "Like, I'm not interested in that kind of a relationship. I feel like what she's asking is, essentially, do I have the right to feel uncomfortable about this tendency I've noticed in some white mm-hmm. men, and is it okay for me to say, I don't want that? I feel like that's kind of what her question is. And the answer yes. to that is, like, hell yes, Um, If somebody makes you feel fetishized like that's a good enough reason to not be in a relationship with them and you have every right to say I'm not interested in that I have no interest in performing like whatever your weird racialized ideals are and I don't want this kind of relationship uh, and to walk away.
0: Yeah. I remember. I mean, I, I have dated uh, white women before. I dated my wife. I've also dated other types of women, and I do know that there was like a thing about like I felt like if, if I meet a white woman who only dates black guys, I'm probably not the black guy she wants to date. Like I was just aware that like that if if there's a woman like I only date brothers, that's like well I'm probably not that guy.
2: My face right now is just like, Ugh, Ugh, why me. would you say that to people? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: it was the nineties, 90s. the nineties, 90s. simpler time. <laughs> it's, MTV I, had us all talking about race and sex for the first time.
2: I,
1: I mean, there, there is one thing. Like, if, if he says, like, you know, I, you know, I was deployed in South Korea and I dated Korean women. And I had a really good experience. That seems fetishy. It seems strange to be like, I had a really good experience well, but yeah, but she, uh, with this group. That In he fairness, didn't,
2: he didn't, say, he that, didn't say that. I did. <laughs> so I, I need to take the yeah. heat for that. No, but I, I phrased that uh, weirdly. But,
0: but what if he says this, Hari? You know what? I've always found myself to be attracted to Asian women. Uh, I've, I've, I'm have i a fan of, of the South Korean culture. I I learned Korean and I lived there for a while. And I've, I've just always found myself attracted to Asian women.
1: If someone said that to me, except not the Asian women part, but the but with like Indian, I'd be furious. Now, okay, now what if? Like, if they, yeah, now what if they were Indian? Uh, what do you? Oh, but well, that's different. That's Share. <laughs> there's that's a completely different situation because you take the racial and power dynamic out of it. Yeah. You know, it's a different power dynamic, I should say. So it'd be completely different.
2: I think the bottom line is that like. This letter writer gets to feel whatever she wants to feel about whatever answer he gives. If yes. he gives an answer that sounds like nice and rehearsed, and you feel like, well, that should make me reassured, but I don't like it. Great, you don't like it. You don't have to be in that relationship. I just, I think my like main point to her is, you get to feel however you want to feel. Um, and if somebody makes you feel in any way like marginalized or othered in your relationship, you don't have to like justify or explain it. Like you should feel seen as a person um, and. Like, whatever your response to his answer is, like, feel it and own it and, um, you know, reassess who you want to be with if, if that comes up. If you're comfortable, great. And if you're not, get the hell out. You have every right to.
0: And this is the time when you need to ask all these questions so you don't lead to the things that happened in the previous two questions. Right. <laughs>
2: like, we're so- like 10 years into your marriage. You overhear him saying something to someone at a party about your marriage. And you're like, wait, he's thought that about me this whole time. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit.
0: Yeah. Now's he- the time to put him under the put him under the spotlight, take him down to the headquarters and, and grill
1: him with all the questions.
2: Yeah. Um, guys, thank you so much.
1: Oh, you're the best. That was great.
2: You're, you're both, you know, wise and, and, and smooth and urbane and witty and just in every way full of general moral excellence. I was planning on discussing a little something else when I took us out, but I actually learned something during the podcast. Uh, that I had to share with you immediately because it seemed like the sort of information that was impossible to keep to myself. Uh, I recently learned via Twitter that uh, Chuck E. Cheese, the uh, friendly rat mascot of the uh, popular pizza and gaming establishment for children, uh, his name, his full name, Chuck E. Cheese, is is short for the name Charles Entertainment Cheese. And I just... um. It moved me so deeply to learn that. And I just think of 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 Chuck E. Cheese in some sort of professional environment saying, please, it's it's Charles Entertainment. I also just love the name Charles Entertainment. I wish that was my name. Uh and and just something about the idea of this like rat mascot of pizza parlor arcades saying it's it's actually Charles Entertainment. Um so I would like you to think about that. I would like you to meditate lovingly upon that piece of information before you fall asleep tonight, and your dreams will be beautiful and rare, like a... like a jeweled egg. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Casey Miner. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you like this show, Please go to iTunes and write us a review. Reviews change the course of history by helping new listeners find the podcast. Just search for Slate, Dear Prudence. And remember, you can hear harder, better, faster, stronger episodes of Dear Prudence by joining Slate+. Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. Don't forget, if you want us to answer your question... Call and leave us a message at four zero one three seven one dear. that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, please, 30 seconds or a minute, and send it to me at prudencepodcast at gmail.com.
3: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?